two weeks later. Not here. Who is it? No, it's oh fuck this. Whoa, what, what, Deke? There you are. I was wondering where you. Why is my door on the floor? Well, I'll explain it to you later. Don't worry about it. Listen, listen. Some crazy shit happened. I know I went down for, I went down to get some Cheetos about five hours ago, but five hours ago? What? You were just here a second ago. Well, Zan. All right, sit back. Just take, just, just relax, okay? Listen, I got a crazy story for you. Okay, my students, I will teach you now a very essential lesson in my program about how to be a marathon runner. Now, first step is this: first, you have to find a subject who has an item which you can grab to start the marathon, like that gentleman over there with the Rolex. Now, step two, you have to run and grab it. Now, when I count to four, I'm gonna go grab it. One, two. Hey, slick. <gasps> Oh shit, run us the cops! Oh, it's you. Hey, baby. They all come back to Slick Willie eventually. What can I do for you, my very happy friend, right now? Well, uh, actually, I was just on my way to get some pizza, but since I saw you, and now that you mention it, we are running low on that cryptoquant equipped dark that you so happened to place upon our persons last time we talked. Well, unfortunately, I am no longer in that business. Oh, How, However, I am in current possession of some lethargic acid diethylamide. Whoa, that sounds like an even crazier name than last time, man. Man, the other things made you want to watch cartoons, this will make you be in the cartoons. <laughs> Finish the story, man. What happened? I don't know, that's it. He gave me these little sheets of paper and he told me... So what do we do? We roll it up and light it? No, no, don't light it on fire. No, no, no. Jesus, Ann, you don't know up from down right now. Let me... Listen, just open your mouth, lift up your tongue, and place it underneath. And he said we will be riding that fucking snake to Valhalla in about 15 to 20 minutes. 15 minutes later... Do you see that purple dude in the corner of the room? Whoa, are we still, where are we? Are we still in your room? Me feel groove, hi-ho. Hello, boys. Hi-ho, acid man. Hello, acid man. Can I try it? You, you say, say yes, to, yes me? to me? Yeah. <laughs> you, you say, say no, no to me? me? <laughs> Deke, should we listen to this purple big lipped nut job? Zan, I don't think we have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, man. Oh, we echo. 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 Echo.
We were somewhere around Terrytown on the edge of the city when the drugs began to take hold. I remember saying something like, I feel a bit lightheaded, maybe you should drive. Suddenly, there was a terrible roar around us, and the sky was full of what looked like huge, tanuki wearing Marios, all swooping and screeching and breaking blocks around the car, and a voice was screaming, Holy shit, where are these goddamn things? Did you say something? <laughs> Never mind, it's your turn to drive. No point in mentioning these tanuki Marios, I thought. Corp will see them soon enough. In the podcast, we had two bags of adult language, 75 pellets of mature situations, five sheets of high-powered Hunter S. Thompson rantings, a soft shaker full of cameos, and a whole galaxy of multicolored, aped, trashed hotel rooms, white rabbits, acid trips, also a quart of Dr. Gonzo, a quart of Raul Duke, a case of Terry Gilliam, a pint of pure insanity, a pair of golf shoes, a bag of drugs, and two dozen lounge lizards. Not that we need all that for the episode, but once you get locked into a serious podcast, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. The only thing that worried me was the insanity. There is nothing in this world more helpless and irresponsible and depraved than a podcaster in the depths of an insane ranch. And I know we get into that rotten stuff pretty soon. Remember, we're your friends. Let's hear discussion is advised. <laughs> no more of that talk or I'll put the fucking leash on you. <laughs> Understand?
episode 37. Zan and Deke find the American dream. We're right on the main nerve. As your attorney, I advise you to shove the spike deep in, into the vein and milk blood to keep from running out. Hello, welcome to New York. Tell the Spark and Movie Review. This is your host, Zan. And this is your co-host, Deke. Yes, we're back for another fun-filled episode of the Spark and Movie View, and especially this is our second episode in the month of Dope. Our second the month of 2011, yes. We're talking about films which have... All sorts of illegal substances. And, unlike what most people think of drug movies are, they're actually kind of inventive and, well, really thought-provoking in some weird sort of way. So far, anyway. It's all up to the dodecahedron, of course. Very true, and surprisingly we have two in a row that were both Criterion films. But we'll get to that in a bit. For those who don't know, Spark inside that provides information reviews about movies. Every episode we review one or two titles depending on the situation, and we'll inform you about it, tell you how the acting is, the characters, the plot, and just give you an overview of the film and if it's worth watching or not. Now, you don't have to agree with anything we say, but I've heard we're a little entertaining, just a little bit. And if you walk away with some interesting tidbits of information that you didn't have going into it, then we've done our job. If you want to check out any previous episodes, be sure to stop by www.spirekin.com, or if you have an email, question, comment, or concern, you can get to it at spirekinmovie at gmail.com, or you can get to our emails, mine deke.spirekin at gmail.com and mine is zan at spirekin.com you can also leave us a voicemail at 206-350-8462 we will play them on there if you play it also if you have twitter Sparkin Movie has all of our updates and if you have facebook Sparkin Movie Group just look up spirekinmovie at gmail.com and you'll find it also if you check out www.fightbait.com we're now being hosted on there so that's kind of cool he's helping us out John Paul aka Fightbait thank you very much yay he'll actually be on one of our future episodes well he, he always shows up once in a while it's been a while but he'll be back so either way yes so it's been a pretty trippy night I mean we've been here we started this at 8 o'clock it's now 12 o'clock at night we're on a binge yeah, this movie took a long time. It took three hours when it should not take a three Well, it's partially my fault because we were... We were doing a lot of stuff, though, as you can tell by the opening. Hopefully we haven't lost fans, but uh, put a lot of work into that. We worked really hard on it, man. And look what God just did to us, man. God did it all, man. Now, we could talk about some of our different things going on in the news. because There's a bunch of news, including supposedly Bradley Cooper is going to be the crow in the remake. Who the hell's Brad Cooper? That's a... Hangover guy. Hangover guy? Really? Uh, yeah, that I'm not too happy about I, it. Wait, is that definite, or is it... Rumors. I don't think he's going to be... A, they need a younger guy. No, I think Leave It Alone. The movie, I know it didn't age well, but it's still a great movie. Yeah. That, that's gay. But Whatever. Either way, let's get into the part you've been waiting for, and what are we talking about? Master, I have mail for you. Here's the mail, boys. There's a letter in your mailbox. The Spirekin email review. So, guys, we are going to our first email of the show, and it is from actually someone who is on our Facebook email. It's from Sabia Abasi Ryman. It says, Hi, where is an indie short film? I am trying to gather reviews for to put on my website and FB page. Would you be able to please help me by reviewing and commenting on this? Thanks. Indie short film? Hmm, here, let me save you the review. Uh, a little too gay, very pretentious, and where's what's the point? And where's the link? What's the movie? Give us something, at least. Just <laughs> something. Anything. 
Oh yeah, by the way, there is no link. That was the entire email. It's not like, oh, here, here's a movie I reviewed, blah, 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 blah. This is probably spam. She should be deleted immediately. Either that or she's a stoner or she's playing a prank. So fuck her. <laughs> Sorry, okay. she's Sobia. Yep. Well, next one is from one of our most faithful listeners. Our good friend Siggy. Yes. Okay, Siggy writes... The movie review for episode 32 is the funniest I've ever heard on your podcast, lol. In episode 32, you guys were talking about the actors, and I was laughing so hard that I looked like I was crying. The other funny part was when Cal got killed. I did not expect that to happen, but it was funny. I think people would actually like you to review The Wizard of Oz. I would, lol. Now, you guys made me kind of interested in the movie you reviewed, and congrats on making it to two hours of talking. The last few seconds, I think, 14 seconds left, you guys made me fall off the bed. I have to go, but I'll write you some more about this one later. P.S. You guys rock. I love this podcast. Thank you, Siggy. That was a pretty cool email, and thank you for enjoying episode 32, our Conan the Destroyer episode. It was a pretty fun episode. Of course, we were just buying for time at that last point. <laughs> yeah, we were kind of just fucking rambling on. But we've we've done crazier things, but, believe it or but not. But now we have to go back to one hour, 59 minutes, and 30, what is it, no, 46 seconds? <laughs> oh, yeah, what the hell are you I don't even know what we were talking about at that point. We were just rambling on and on and on and on and on and on and on. We didn't start the fire. <laughs> no Billy t- Joel on this podcast. You can tell we're fucking tired. Some guy named Alexander invited us to the Sakura Matsui 2011. Should uh, we go? Yeah, why not? It might be fun. Because we've gone all the other years, so yes, we are going to be going to the Sakura Matsui in Brooklyn Botanical Gardens on April 30th. Well, it's in a couple weeks, and it's going to be pretty cool. And also, supposedly, one of our missing co-hosts has returned. <sighs> he's come back from the grave, or the psychiatric ward, whichever one. Or prison, wherever he's been. <laughs> or the depths of fucking the jungle or something. Yes. Well, we will leave that for another episode to reveal who it is. Let's get on with the next email. Okay, next email, next email is next email. from Grouchy Vagabond 45 That's a very angry name. Yeah, Grouchy Vagabond. Okay, Grouchy Bum. Alright, what's up? Hey, Spire Can Movie Review guys. Zan, Deke, Cal, Bell, Timbo, and the rest. I found out about you guys from the fightbait.com feed, and after hearing the Conan episode, I'm a Spyrokin believer. I even went back to the original concept episode of the Spyrokin movie review, supplemental episode I, and found it hilarious. I love how your math evolved from $1,000 in the 80s equaling $10 billion to $40,000 from the 80s is worth $40,000 today, but you can support a family of five. Totally brilliant and funny, but I do have some questions for you guys. A. When are you going to review Revenge of the Nerds, Weird Science, Mannequin, Wayne's World 2, and Dave? Well, the answer to that question is, of course, up to the dodecahedron of movies. Uh... As your attorney, I advise you to talk about something else. B. Deke, did you ever find the glasses from Big Trouble in Little China? As a matter of fact, Grouchy, I fucking did. There is a website, and unfortunately... They're like fucking 69 pounds, which is probably close to $100 American. It's on IJAKKIJAK.com, I think. It's not, it's, they're repro- reproductions. Yes, they do make them. Very, very expensive. I still haven't bought them, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll save up for it. 
Let's see. C. One of you guys going to do another text from last night segment. Well, um, we we might have done it this time, but I think we're going to need a little more time. So I think maybe the next episode. Yeah, maybe the next episode or two. I don't know. Something yeah, because we have a, a heavy plate today, especially yeah. with the topic we're on the cover. And D. What is your medieval weapon of choice? Double-headed axe or broadsword? Well, thanks for the podcast and keep them coming, Vinny. Okay, Vin. Grouchy. Well, that's kind of a difficult question because, I mean, I personally would not go with either of those. I would go more for a Florian or a Rapier because you got it goes for speed. Yes, it's only a piercing weapon, but it's a little bit quicker than Double-Bladed Axe. Double-Bladed Axe does have the damage, same thing in Broadsword. They're both strong weapons, but I'm someone who wants to go for speed rather than strength. Yeah, see, I would actually, I'd probably, if I was medieval, I'd go definitely heavy armor, have a huge shield, and definitely a short battle axe. Uh, short handle, nothing too crazy, balanced a little bit, but able to smash through armor. That's what I would go for. I mean, and also, what type of broadsword are you talking about? Are you talking about, like, guts from Berserk-level broadsword, where it's just a hunk of metal, or are you talking about something like... Wallace fucking double claymore. Claymores I'm not really a fan of. Like, I I was watching Highlander with Bell, and we were looking at all the different swords and things, and, like, the Kurgan sword is freaking awesome. Kurgan sword is awesome. And that one guy, the 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 one uh, the, the 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 guy um, the guy Imbo, the the guy he kills, the last person he kills, yeah. he has the scimitar, which is a nice sword. But you I'm know. thinking he's maybe talking about medieval Europe. Yeah, he, the halberds are cool too. Like the, they're a little bit, they seem a little bit funky, but they can have a lot of uses. Like you can use them as a spear, take down mm-hmm. cavalry, mm-hmm. you can hook people from afar. Uh, a lot of skill. But to about use what it. about the multi weapon like Gladius? A Roman glass, yeah, but but they they weren't they weren't well made and they're practically and they're also br- they're Bronze Age, not Steel Age. So yeah, exactly. Give me four forty steel any day of the week over. Uh, only swords that I don't think are good are the African swords. If you can prove me wrong, send me a link to some interesting African swords. No, African. I don't even think they have swords. No, they, spears. No, they got the Egyptian area. All right, well that's one thing, but that's more of like a skim- scimitar. I guess, like, northern... Anything with an Arabic influence would be curved, a curved blade. Mm. I was going to say, the katana is an awesome weapon. No, okay? it is. It I is. think, pound for pound, I think a katana would actually probably ultimately win, like, versus any kind of European weapon. Each one has its strengths and weaknesses, but as an all-around weapon, I would say a katana would be fucking incredible. Now, the European weapons, they were more geared towards the European defenses, which was armor, knights, infantry, and stuff like that. The Japanese, they had, you know, their bamboo, whatever kind of armor, but, you know, they weren't... There wasn't much steel over there anyway, so they took their steel and made fucking swords, and there's a ton of bamboo, and that's what they made their armor out of, you know, so... Suddenly, we have to watch most at least Warrior the Samurai episodes to see which is stronger at this point now. Although Viking weapons are awesome, too. But, uh, but Viking weapons are awesome, but if you're going to go with a Viking weapon, I hate to say this, and it sounds like a geek of me, but if I'm going to go with a Viking weapon, I'm going to go with a fucking Warhammer. I want Molnair to freaking <laughs> <laughs> to freaking bash someone's skull in. Alright, well, hands down, ultimately, and since I'm just going to reveal this anyway, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, I only play dwarf characters... Dwarves my favorite mythology. I picture a hammer and fucking battle axe with my dwarves. Did you ever do the all dwarf campaign? No, I never have. Uh, I was I was actually usually the only dwarf that I played. I've done all elf campaign, I've done I did one campaign all humans, and I did one which was the fun which is all dragon kin. Oh really? But the, but they're the worst freaking character to use. 
Hi listeners, sorry for interrupting your regularly scheduled podcast, this is Zan. I just wanted to let you know that the email which was in this section was moved to the stinger part of our show because it was a little bit too racy for some of our younger fans. So if you want to check that out, check out our stinger at the end of the episode for the infamous email which starts our Spark and Female Review. Otherwise, let's get back to the podcast at hand and to the craziness. By the way, let's get off this topic. Let's, let's get off this topic and sing a little more trippy and strange. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. We got. We're talking about boobies, and there are. We're going to talk about boobies in future episodes because Very that's true. what everybody likes. Yes, and that's some emails. Yes, so yes, yes, yes. But now, now we're talking about drugs, hardcore fucking drugs, man. Very true. Very true. And what are we talking about in this episode? I mean. If you remember from the last episode of Lee Spark and Manga Review, our Easy Rider episode, a very fun and awesome episode, which took place actually in 1969, we rolled the, the Dodecahedron of movies. As your attorney, I advise you to roll the Dodecahedron and, and pick a movie from it. Very true. And what happened was, as we rolled it, it dictated on us that we were reviewing, well, a pretty cool movie which came out actually in the, uh, what year did this come out? 1998, actually. But the movie takes place in 1971. So we'll say it takes place in 71. This movie was actually directed by someone who we reviewed back in episode 3 of the Spark and Movie Review, and that is one Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam. Oh, yes. Way back in episode 3. Yes. Yes. Python reference. Yes. It's. Monty Python's Flying Service. But either way, and this film was actually produced by Patrick Cassavetti and Lila Nabolsi. And the screenplay was by Terry Gilliam and Tony Grizzoli, but it's based on a novel which came out all the way back in 1971, November 11th and November 25th. Two different versions. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not exactly. What happened was this is actually an excerpt from Rolling Stone magazine. It was written by a, a well, genius, you could say. It's a sick and twisted individual. Yes. The one, the only, the belated... Hunter S. Thompson. Yes. The Gonzo reporter himself. He, in- he invented the term Gonzo. And for those who don't know who Hunter S. Thompson is, well... He's a writer. A writer. A tortured writer. A fucking crazy man. A genius. And... He ran for sheriff of a town. <laughs> was it in the... No, it was in Colorado, I think. Yeah, in Colorado. The guy was a nut. He eventually ended up killing himself. He was obsessed with guns. He was basically a, like a true tortured artist, really. But he was a fucking brilliant man. Like, awesome. And he made lots of headlines. He wrote a lot of very strange things, including here at some points where you'd see interviews with him where he'd be like saying... Finally said, well, you made it all up. I couldn't believe that people really believed that Muskie was eating Ibogaine. I never said he was. I said there was a rumor in Milwaukee that he was. Which was true. And I started the rumor in Milwaukee. He <laughs> <laughs> <You> like... <laughs> Like, what are you fucking nuts, dude? You just fucking told me six different stories and they all led back to my original fucking... Statement. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, the guy is brilliant. He's a genius. It's a shame that he went out the way he did, but he went out with a bang, though. Yeah, he certainly <laughs> did. Part, <laughs> part of his his last will and testament was to have his ashes put into a giant fist cannon and basically shot out into the sky. So that's what they did. He was friends with like Johnny Depp and all these like Bill Murray, yeah. Rob Williams. And so they actually made his final wishes come true. A couple months after he died, they took his mortal remains, constructed this giant fist cannon in the desert. I think it was like a couple hundred feet in the air, and then fucking blasted it, blasted it. And yeah, that's how he went out, man. That was awesome. Who the fuck gets shot out of a cannon? 
And he had a best friend who he always wrote about, because he wrote a lot of interesting stories, and they're sort of true, sort of fake. It's a whole thing, but either way. His best friend, you could say, was this guy named Oscar Zeta Acosta, and he was his attorney. Now, Acosta is a big, burly, scary man who looked like... Well, he was kind of creepy, and anyway, long story short, this journalist that he wrote, this story that he wrote, which is broken into two parts, is it's talking about two trips that Hunter S. Thompson took to Vegas. And the thing is that you could say that this was an actual biography, but it's not. It's like he took the basic premise of what happened, and then he went kind of crazy, and he made up half of it. So you don't know what's real, you don't know what's not. And the first adventure in Vegas took place when he had to cover a, a bike race. Yeah, it was like a... What was it? Like the Mint 400 the casinos uh, putting yeah. on this, yeah. this motocross in the desert. And he had this offer from Sports Illustrated to go cover it. So you think, you know, hey, you have a job, you're getting paid to write a story about a motocross, you're actually going to go to the motocross, write about the motocross, and then, you know, report back. <laughs> that didn't happen. But what happened was that he ended up kind of forgetting about what happened down a huge drug bender and, and he wrote this the beginning of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas A Savage Journey to the Heart of the American Dream and this was originally a 250 word caption job for Sports Illustrated <laughs> which became a full length novel and then about nine weeks later Thompson and Acosta had to return to Vegas for Rolling Stone to cover the, the DA's Association Conference on Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs yeah, uh, it's, uh, that's kind of the wrong person. Yeah, it's it's the it's like the criminal going to the donut shop when the cops are there. It's yeah, it's like oh here, uh, I can't even think of what like what would that be? That'd be like that'd be like uh, sending a fat kid into a candy store to write a review and give an honest critique of all the candy. But meanwhile, you know the motherfucker is just gonna fucking start shoveling his face, and it's just not gonna. It's not a pretty fucking sight. You know what I mean? It's not going to be good. So, again, either way, this was encompassed into one story called Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And that's what this movie's based on. Yes. But the movie kind of took it and did this whole thing with it, which really is a little bit difficult to describe, because to follow Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is to go into the complete deaths and madness. Now, we could try actually describing the entire movie, but... I don't think so. It, it, it's going to be hard to explain. Everybody's going to be all fucking confused. And it just will look like a couple of assholes, like we're on a fucking drug binge, just talking like madmen into the microphone machine. But we could tell you that this movie was actually, it stars, well, Cameron Diaz is a cameo, Mark Harmon is a cameo, Christopher Maloney in a cameo, Gary Busey in a cameo, Tobey Maguire in a cameo, Ellen Barkin in a cameo, bunch of other people who are cameoing, including uh, Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers and oh, yeah. uh, Lyle Lovett. <laughs> yeah, Lyle Lovett's in it and fucking... And of uh, course, Honoris Thompson makes a cameo. Uh, yeah, the man himself is And then movie. it's starring two people. Now, the second of the two, the one who's more crazy, Benicio Del Toro, who actually, for this role, he had to gain 40 extra pounds. So he's fat and ugly in this one. He's playing the infamous Dr. Gonzo pretty much a crazy fat man Samoan lawyer who just drinks to excess and he, he's bizarre like they said he's there he goes one of God's own prototypes 
A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Yeah. Very cool. And finally, the star of the movie and narrator. Johnny Depp, who you may know from such films as Pirates of the Caribbean and <laughs> 21 Jump Street. In order to get into the, the part, he actually had to hang out with Hunter S. Thompson. And he did. And amazingly enough, the two became close friends. He lived there's, in his basement for like yeah, three months. He like hung out. He like yeah. So like, there's actually a funny anecdote that Johnny Depp has where he's laying in bed, like smoking a cigarette, using the night table as an ashtray, and he's just like reading or whatever. Suddenly, so like I don't know, he just gets all inquisitive and looks around and realizes that the nightstand that he's been using for the past like six months. Think air quotes. Is actually a barrel. And upon further inspection, he realizes that it says TNT on the fucking side. So he's like, oh my god. So he runs up. He runs upstairs, gets Hunter S. Thompson. It's like, yo, you gotta check this out. And Hunter so, doesn't know what's going on. He's like, he, what are you talking about? He's like, what, what are the brown men trying to steal your brain? <laughs> so they go downstairs. All of a sudden, like, he's like, well, look at this. This is a barrel. It says it's fucking TNT. He's like, he's like, oh, I've been looking all over for that. It's like, oh, thanks, you found it. He's like. What if I fucking ignited it? He's like, you're gonna blow us straight to hell! <laughs> and they just fucking laughed about it. It's like, oh, what the hell are you doing with a keg of fucking gunpowder TNT in your fucking basement, dude? And then later on, they blew it up with a bunch of nitro, which he had lying around for no fucking reason. <laughs> Do you mention this guy like guns and explosions and things? Yeah, like there's another anecdote I remember from that Rolling Stone. You know, first day he meets me, they're talking, they're talking, he notices that he has, uh, an old shotgun. And he's like, it's a really nice shotgun. Does it work? And then the next thing Johnny Depp knows, he's holding up a box which Hunter is duct taping. What was it? Liquor, nitro, and something, and nitroglycerin, and something else to it? Yeah, he's like, well, he made, basically made like a Molotov <laughs> cocktail, essentially. <laughs> he's like, okay, let's find out if this gun works. And then, so that's what they were using as a fucking target. Where were they? They were like right out his back porch or something. Yeah, right? yeah. The guy was completely fucking insane. <laughs> and and he's he, to, to study the man. The man was a genius. To read his work, it's maddening and genius at the same time. He, no, he's very poignant. One thing about his writing is that he he gets he has a point. He does some fucked up things and he writes about it. And you kind of have to discern the truth from the lie. But it's all. It's done in an artful way where you're meant to decipher things, and that—that's not. He's not like bullshitting you. He's just trying to make a point, and he has to use illustrations in order to do that. The man is an artist, so he—he's got some wonderful uh, short stories and a lot of essays that are just fun. Like read his, uh, his one of his latter works in life. He wrote an essay about 9/11. Fucking sharp and brilliant, and everything he wrote about was totally true. Now, some of you are wondering, wait, what does this have to do with the movie? Well, we, in order to understand this, we have to understand Hunter S. Thompson, his mind, his insanity. Or not insanity, his brilliance. His brilliant insanity, you could say. This movie was made for $18.5 million, and it made $10 million. Yeah, so Critics a, hated it. It was a flop. But everyone loves the movie. It's a critically acclaimed film for being part of the Criterion Edition, and a lot of people really like the movie. A lot of fans love it. It's a cult classic, and... The movie is essentially, like I said, Raul Duke, played by Johnny Depp and Hunter S. Thompson, going to Vegas from two conventions and just going crazy. And you're probably wondering, how could they go crazy? Uh, well, 
starts off, the movie immediately starts off where after hallucinating, bats are attacking the car, you see Raul Duke go to the trunk of the car and he pulls out a suitcase full of drugs. And I don't mean like, you know, it's a bag full of weed, no, we're talking about cocaine, weed, mescaline, ether, fucking acid, and uh, all sorts of pills, uppers, downers, poppers, fucking shit that'll make you go zing. Exactly, and he just goes through this, and so they end up taking some of the. They first off, they pick off this really strange-looking hitchhiker who's played by Tobey Maguire. Yeah, he's like he, he looks like uh, Christopher Elliott, the cameraman yep. in uh, Groundhog Day. Basically, yeah. he's like got one of those like wigs on. He looks like shit, man. He looks crazy. yeah, and he's like, hot damn! I never owned a convertible before because they're driving a convertible that they picked up. This cherry red convertible. And it's they end up destroying this car throughout the throughout the movie. But they pick him up and he's like he's like, Hot damn, I never owned a convertible before. Well I guess you're ready then, huh? We're not like the others. <laughs> We're your friends. Yeah, it, it doesn't it <laughs> I wouldn't take a ride from these guys. They look cool, but I still wouldn't fucking take it. I'm in the desert hitchhiking. I got guys with a fucking fly swatter swatting at bats, and uh, the other guy is fucking wasted behind the wheel. I'd have to think twice. Although I have, I have driven in the back of a car where somebody's tripping balls driving, so I can't really say that you know I'm innocent of this fucking poor choice. So regardless, Tobey Maguire jumps in, and they're cruising, and you find out immediately that basically Hunter S. Thompson or Johnny Depp, or I guess, what should we call him? Uh, Raul Duke. Call him Raul Duke. Duke is fucking paranoid as shit. He, 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 it's basically, it sets it up like this. Raul Duke is fucked up, and everybody else around him isn't, besides Dr. Gonzo, of course. And he's trying to decipher how much they know, and it's just making him fucking paranoid, and he's like kind of freaking out. He's having a, his natural reaction to people that aren't like him that aren't fucked up off their face is to get even more fucked up. So it just becomes this huge, gigantic binge and all the excesses you can imagine. And after scaring off the hitchhiker in a funny scene where, <laughs> the, where they he just <laughs> tries to run out. Like the car's moving, he's trying to fucking jump out. And then Rel Duke's like, Oh, you can't leave. And he's like just like holding him in place and like just And after scare, they scare the shit out of him even further when uh, Dr. Gonzo pulls out a gun and says they're going to kill a skag bear. <laughs> and they've gone like maybe 200 feet. <laughs> that's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he hops out of the car. Fucking, that's it, man. He's out of there. Once you see the 357 come out of the brown paper bag, it's time to fucking leave this party. <laughs> but, but I just love Raul Duke's response. He's just like, he's like, oh, fuck. Where are they going to miss him? <laughs> he's like, wait, wait, stop. Take some beer. <laughs> It's like his best friend or some shit. Yeah, it's like if you look at the two of them, Raul Duke's just crazy, but Dr. Gonzo's destructive. From then on, they end up going to the Mint Hotel where they hallucinate about seeing lizards, and then they go further into insanity, which, like I said, it's kind of hard to talk about some of the more poignant scenes, like them tripping out and seeing um, they think that they're in the middle of a war zone when they're at the bike race, the Mint 300. I must say, there's a lot of scenes where they're like on tripping hard on these drugs and some of them are actually really good representations of how these things are like when he's tripping on acid and the, the floor becomes all, the patterns in the carpet become all like uh, cartoon like and grow and 
They're all zipping around everywhere. That's really good. That's really close to how, how it is. And then, like, you know, some other scenes, you know, I, the drugs they were doing, I didn't know what they were like. I'm sure they were pretty close to that, though, too. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty, like, dark movie, and like I said, it's really difficult for us to talk about this movie because it's a visual movie. I mean, we could just get out here in the Las Vegas and just read it verbatim, but... It'd be kind of tough. It'd be tough. We'd be here for five hours, at least. <laughs> Let's say, there were some cool scenes, though. We could talk about some individual scenes, like, well... Mm, let's see. Yeah, like, I like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is always after they go to the circus, well, this casino, which is, it's it's called Bazooka Circus, but it's actually like the Circus Circus Casino in Vegas, if you've ever been there. And what happens is they get kind of kicked out after tripping out, and Dr. Gonzo makes a fool of himself. He takes a, a bunch of drugs, and Raul Duke leaves. He says, you know what, I'm going to go, you're flipping, you're waving a knife at me and acting all paranoid, I'm going to go. He notices as he walks through the casino early in the morning that there are people still playing and people still trying to win, That and the American dream has come from, you know, being free to just winning a big, win the lottery, and it's this melancholy scene. Yeah, we say they all look like used car salesmen. From Dallas. And there's plenty of them, especially at 4.30 a.m. on a Sunday. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just he's just reg- looking at them, regretting this situation, and after that he goes back to the hotel room. And this scene, you see, Doctor Gonzo decided to take four sheets of acid straight up, which technically should have killed him. It should have. Well, it wouldn't have killed him, but it would have fucking melted his brain. That's for sure. It does because he's in the bathtub, <laughs> sitting there in filled a filled bathtub. With water, shaving cream, graffiti all over the walls. Yes, you see the fist, the fist of of, of Hunter Thompson. <laughs> fucking, fucking Jefferson Airplane, <laughs> fucking White Rabbit is playing on a reel to reel. Yep, and he's sitting there in a full four piece suit, <laughs> minus the pants. He's in his underwear, <laughs> splashing around. And what happens is he's trying to. When the White Rabbit bites its own head off, he wants Raul Duke to throw the tape recorder into the water with him. And, yeah, and Jesus Christ, man, that'll, that'll kill you in ten seconds. It'll blow you right through the wall. That make me explain things. <laughs> just do it. And it uh, comes to an altercation, which is just really fucking trippy. I'm not. Gonzo disc- comes out with a knife and some crazy stuff. Threatens to cut a Z in his forehead, and it's a whole fucking. It's a funny scene. I'm not doing it justice, but I'm getting to the point, which is the important part. And after this point, he calms down, Doctor Gonzo, and he says this monologue, which is actually Hunter S. Thompson's most famous and his favorite passage from the book. And long story short, it went like this. Strange memories on this nervous night in Las Vegas. Has it been five years? Six? It seems like a lifetime. The kind of peak that never comes again. San Francisco in the middle 60s was a very special time and place to be a part of. But no explanation, no mix of words or music or memories can touch that sense of knowing that you were there and alive in that corner of time in the world. Whatever it meant. There was madness in any direction, at any hour, 
you could strike sparks anywhere. There was a fantastic universal sense that whatever we were doing was right, that we were winning. And that, I think, was the handle. That sense of inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil. Not in any mean or military sense. We didn't need that. Our energy would simply prevail. We had all the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. So now, less than five years later, you can go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west. And with the right kind of eyes, you can almost see the high water mark. That place where the wave finally broke and rolled back. And this scene, if you don't understand what it meant, you really gotta pay attention. Because he was describing the fact that they had this idealism in the 60s. Like an Easy Rider, remember? In the beginning, they had that idealism. Oh, it's exactly life. like Easy Rider. That's what I was thinking it, the whole time. It, exactly. It's it, the, the illusion is gone that, oh, free spirit, free mind, everything's all good, everything's all fine. Yeah. That was basically the whole premise of the movie. It's kind of a downer note. You know, you had the early 60s. Basically, what he's talking about here is the hippies in San Fran. It was all born, LSD. Everybody's going nuts. They had this wave of good energy. We can win the war, or we're not going to go to Vietnam. Fuck this, the real world. They were bullshitting themselves with this, these crazy drugs. Now, the dream is crashed. That's not real, because reality, you know what? The man always fucking wins. If you're fucking stoned, you ain't doing shit. You're just tripping your balls off. That's where he was. He was disillusioned. He was an ex-hippie. He can look back and see that they fucking blew it, man. They all lost. They fucking blew it. And now he's just kind of still there. And the drugs are still there. And he's still getting wasted. And nothing's really changing. And that's basically the premise of this whole, this whole experience. Everyone's a mess at this point. I mean, like you said, they were trying to free their minds with the drugs and it, it just created this generation of people who were just failures permanently crippled from their brains being fried just people just having a restless feeling of failure they were lost man they'd take acid their minds would be blown they'd be like oh you know what fuck the real world then you know what five years later they were still doing that they had nothing they had they were getting older and real life was setting in, but they were they were fucked at this point. They had they had no plan. It's like wasted youth, you know. It's a it's a bit of a downer, and you know I'm not, it I'm not knocking the whole experience. Do what you do what you will. I mean, you know, but just remember that you gotta have some sort of plan before you fuck throw it in the towel. You know what I mean? Uh, that's the message. It's just you can't just you need a plan. You need to, you can't just follow Timothy Leary. Expand your mind. Drugs are everything. It's not. Either way, so we—it shows that counterculture failed, and just all the the errors that they made. Like it shows later on, the cops—they're trying to figure out they're—they're they're so misinformed about what drugs do to them. Like saying, "Oh, there are four stages of being of being high," and all these other little tropes. And it's just—it's so, such a poor assessment of the situation you could see just how fucking far and disconnected they really were and those cops they they were only a couple generations removed you know it's really really wasn't that big of a gap but they just honestly had no fucking clue what was really going on mm-hmm. 
And it's just all misconceptions, and I don't know, that's, that's basically it. Uh, again, you know, like we showed in the last episode with Easy Rider, it was the same exact thing. The generational gaps between the young people and the fucking the old guard. And that's that's the, the, also the underlying tension of this flick, is that there's a lot of that, you know. It's, uh, and then they're, they're still kind of struggling against it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, from then on, just spirals out of control to scenes where you don't know what the hell happened. Yeah, Christina Ricci is there, and she's like some student, fucking Gonzo's, and like a, a Matahari, fucking Harry Krishna, fuck in a in in the <laughs> the comforter of the hotel room bed, and, and she's like she's carrying around cardboard with uh, pictures of Barbara Streisand that she painted on it. And it's just like what the fuck, and it's just like a whole lot more of these strung up moments that really don't make too much sense it's just crazy to watch though and from then on it, it turns out that Duke tries to mellow out by just taking some hits of adrenochrome which for those who don't know is a stimulant made by the adrenaline grind I do not recommend taking this I, I've never tried before but I've heard about from medical classes what it, that can do to you it just Probably not good. Nah, I'm surprised you didn't, it's hard to explode from that. But until everything goes out of control and you just become becomes an incoherent mess of trying to figure it out. So, well, what was a scene that you liked? Or um, you liked it? Actually, I like when they first roll up into uh, Vegas, when they first check in that first hotel. And then, like, they do such a good explanation of what it's like to trip balls. He's sweating like a fucking pig. He goes to say his blood is too thick for the desert, and he's never been able to quite explain how he acts in that uh, climate. He's kind of freaking out at the desk. He's, like, talking real loud and trying to check in. The lady, her face is, like, morphing, and he's fucking peeking right now. He's about to lose it, and he has to check in. And then Dr. Gonzo shows up and helps him through the registration process, and... He's just losing his shit, and that just that whole scene of him losing it, so it just brings me back to my own experiences with this shit, and fucking, I can I understand completely. <laughs> it's it's crazy. I mean, the, you see them later on, like after they check in after the race, they're cruising through Vegas in their first of two cars. I forgot to mention that, that he gets a second convertible, which he destroys also. <laughs> In, in what they're cruising to Vegas, and you just see they end up. Well, first off, they park on the sidewalk, <laughs> so tripped out. And then it's like bribing people with cash. And, you know. Yeah, they bribe people to let them into a Debbie Reynolds concert, <laughs> and then <laughs> he talks his way into like he's like, oh, "I'm from out of town. We're friends with Debbie." Blah 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 blah. Old Duke is just sitting there, like just you know doing his drugs or whatever, and then. So Gonzo talks her way past the usher into the concert. He's like, okay, listen, you know, you can't sit. There's no more seats, but if you stand quietly in the back, that's fine. So he's like, okay. He goes in. The, the usher's counting his money that he, that he just got the bribe with. Literally five seconds later, <laughs> the fucking bouncers kick open the doors, and they got both of these guys, and yeah, they're kicking them out. Laughing maniacally. Yeah, they're just like, ah, making a ruckus, so. You know what I also forgot, too? Another subplot with the whole the hippies losing and the end of the battle and real life setting in. Another subplot, not even a plot, but another subcontext is the fact that they are raking up these huge, gigantic bills for room service 
They're trashing hotel rooms, trashing rental cars. This guy, put, you know, his credit is on the line here. At one point, Gonzo's name is on the hotel registry. And in the back of his mind, he's like, holy shit, you know, like every time he starts to sober up, he's like, well, who the fuck's going to pay for all this? Oh my God. He starts to kind of freak out. And when he starts to freak out, he just takes more drugs. That's basically what he was saying about this, the early 60s was he started taking drugs and he just never stopped to try to tame his reality. But it's still, regardless, it's fucking all around him and you can't really deny it anymore at this point. Yeah, and uh, I think that's all we can really say about this movie from that point on. And this podcast is just as incoherent as the movie. I'll tell you <laughs> that now. The, um... I guess we can talk about music real quick. There's a lot of good music. Oh, oh, the, oh the soundtrack is amazing. I will say that you got some great songs. Let's see now. You had uh, Jefferson Airplane in there. You had Big Brother and the Holding Company. You had Tom Jones, The Yardbirds, Three, told me not to three, come. three Dog Night, of course, and uh, Bob Dylan, Harry Como, Debbie Reynolds. Yeah, Buffalo Springfield. Yeah, Neil Young, Expecting Fly. That was great. You liked For Your Love. For Your Love. For Your Love. Yeah, so they did it. They did a good representation of what was going on at the time. Yeah, no, it, it, the, the music was good. The film itself was shot very well. Terry Gilliam style is prevalent throughout the entire film. What we were saying earlier about Hunter S. Thompson was that his genius was his insanity. Now, the opposite spectrum of that, Terry Gilliam, in order to understand this movie, is you have to realize one thing about Terry Gilliam. His insanity makes him a genius. Okay? Sometimes it, you know, it gets a little convoluted and whatnot, but, you know, it's two sides of a coin. It's a very similar coin, but it's still two opposite sides. That's how you start out with Terry Gilliam. Realize that about him first. Yeah. They do a lot of different shots in this movie. A lot of different kinds of shots. Uh, there's a lot of uh, hand cam, shaky, in your face, kind of and, like sweeping, like zoom in and out kind of things. Not like a stereotypical like freak out trip, but there's a lot of it. It's there's some imagery which you're very like, what the fuck? Like one point you just see for no reason there's a Hare Krishna jumping up and down repetitively across the Hollywood Billy Bar that they keep passing. You have an angel with a sword for no reason. You see tripped out things like a monkey wearing a KKK uniform for no reason, and then later on you see a monkey in a doctor's uniform, you see Penn Jillette dressed up in a cowboy hat saying, uh, uh, you can be 200 feet tall, and you see a guy saying, shoot the paces off of a bull dike, and you'll win your own set of... The whole time what I can imagine, though, is like Terry Gilliam going on some crazy rant, talking with like the actors, and somebody has an idea, and he's like, oh, that'll be great! And he puts it all in the movie, and like he gets on these like thinks about individual things. Oh, that's great! That's great! That's great! And he puts them all together. But sometimes it's all together, it's really not that great, and sometimes it, it hurts. That's probably one of the things that turned a lot of people off about the movie, at least commercially. Uh, Terry Gilliam fans probably love this movie, um, but you know, obviously the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah, uh, it, this did get a Criterion, of course, and it's considered the 469th. Uh, Film out of Empire magazines, 500 films of all, greatest films of all time. But Empire is a British magazine, which I'm not really too much of a fan of. I don't like their articles for some reason. Yeah, I've I've never heard of them until they're, right now. They're, they're, I've read there. Okay, but other thing, interestingly enough, all of Johnny Depp's material, his wardrobes, everything, like we said, he stayed for four months living with Thompson, and because of that, 
He had to learn his mannerisms. He read his original manuscripts, his mementos, his notebooks, and all that. And also, Thompson helped him look the part. I mean, first off, he shaved his head. Yeah, he literally cut him a haircut. <laughs> it looks like male parabolus. <laughs> and then he gave him his cigarette lighter, his Hawaiian shirts, his hats, his patchwork jacket, a silver medallion that was given to him by Oscar Acosta, and then his ID. And if there's a scene, like I said, when he's walking down before, after um, he leaves the room, and he's talking about how all the guys are, are like, at 4 a.m., they're up. You see him, he takes out some money to, to make a bet. You see his wallet, and it shows his ID. If you pause it, you'll see that it's actually his ID. It's his license for California. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's, and then the whole scene where Hannes Thompson's, like, there, he's like, oh, that's me. Wait a minute, that's not me. That's older. What is going on here? <laughs> and then Hunter's house is just kind of chilling there. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> but you know what? I didn't think of it until right now. That's a strong point for the movie that it has going for it, is the fact that the, like, usually, if, like, book adaptations, you know, the writer either ends up hating it or whatever. He fucking doesn't want to have any part of it or you know, he sold the rights and now he's just kind of, like, there. Hunter S. Thompson... Not only did he sell the rights to the movie, but he's the kind of guy that if, like, he doesn't like what's going on, he's not going to be fucking part of it at all. He was in the movie. He became, like, best buddies with Johnny Depp. He lent all his clothes and let him, you know, read all his personal writings and stuff just for this flick. So he had to have been on board. Like, him and Terry Gilliam must have saw eye to eye, you know? And at the premiere... They said this, that people, when they went to the premiere, he was flipping out. According to well, what I heard, they did test screening, and Gilliam was not happy about it. He was kind of, he's very paranoid and whatnot. Meanwhile, Thompson was in the audience, and he is making all this fucking noise. You know, he it, as he was watching it, everything came back to him, and he was just reliving the entire trip. Like, you know, he's shouting and moving around like he's in a roller coaster, saying, Oh, God, look how to match the fucking nets. And it's almost like if he was reliving it that much, they had to have gotten it right, you know? And he even said, he said, You know, it's not my show, but I appreciate it. Depp did a hell of a job, and his narration is what really held the, the film together. I thought if you haven't had it, it would have been just a series of very wild and strange scenes. Actually, that's a great fucking point, because that's exactly it. Yeah, it's all these crazy drug scenes, but you actually have Johnny Depp reading verbatim Hunter S. Thompson's work, pretty much doing a spot-on impression. So it actually, the movie follows the book in that sense, is that it actually has Hunter S. Thompson's words, you know, word for word in it. Surprisingly, Siskel, from Roger Ebert's belated former partner who passed away, he actually loved the movie, said that the film captured the book's themes and it gave you the reaction that you were supposed to have, you know? Showing, just showing the worst of Americas, the extremes of Americas, the money obsession, just the vulgarity of us, you know? And it's, like we said before in Easy Rider in the last episode, that was showing some of the worst of humanity. This takes that and shows even worse, because these guys are... I mean, Hunter Thompson's bad. He's not dangerous but he's not a good person either definitely not a good person there's a scene at the end of the movie near the end near the climax that just shows how horrible these guys are just what exactly the drugs uh, have know, done to them exactly what it's 
basically knocked them down to... Yeah, it shows them as horrible human beings. I don't want to describe it, but... It's, it's not all just fun and games, you know? It's not, it's not. And I know some of you are like, Hey, this is a real downer, man. Are you going to show the good parts about drugs? This is the realist thing. I mean, if you get the drugs to this level... When the drugs become the, the lifestyle, yeah, rather than the accentuation of your lifestyle, like when they become your actual lifestyle and you've lost control... Then it becomes a very, very ugly double-edged sword that will not hesitate to cut you down. These guys are on a fucking binge. And yeah, it's all its all funny at first. The movie starts out actually pretty funny. It's crazy. And you're like, haha, what the fuck? Going nuts. And then by the end of it, it's like, wow, man, you become disillusioned. And it's like, well, maybe it's not so funny. We got, we got our second trash hotel room. This, this woman was accosted. There was allegations of rape and you know all sorts of like the laws coming after them and you don't know which way they're going to turn and yeah. it's like all this all these burdens you know that's that's what it becomes uh at this at the end of the movie they have fucking lost control and they want you to know it they even say it's like we've abused every law the only thing we could hope is that when someone shows up to arrest us then they won't even believe the shit we've done so they're like oh it can't be true case dismissed that's their hope at this point they're hoping that in court, you know, they're re- getting the charges read against them, and then the judge is just like, oh, this can't be true, this is bullshit, and throw it out. That's how bad that they got. Yeah, and, uh, well, <laughs> I guess that's it. It just, well, uh, we could talk more, but... Uh, I guess that's it. We've kind of covered everything we need to cover about it. Yeah. Um, well, drug, we, we, we talked about drug, you should talk about everything, soundtrack, everything, and uh, we watch it on the DVD. I'm not going to buy the Blu-ray, but it's, it's worth owning, I think. Now, the part you've been waiting for, we're talking, about, we're talking about the rating of the movie. Now, we have a five-point rating system. For those who don't know, our lowest rating being protests at your local red box, no one red since reprehensible piece of shit, to our highest rating, which is really, really, really fucking cool. If you don't watch this now, your brain will freeze, your eyes will swell up, and your soul will be forfeit to the 11th circle of hell where you'll be forced to watch episode one for all eternity while Jar Jar Binks gropes you while singing, Miss, I love you, Miss, I love you, and mom gives you a titty fuck from on top of a ladder, and Robert G. Durant tries to cut off your fingers with a cigarette cutter, and the hillbilly points a shotgun at you in the face, and a hippie commune member gets really heavy on you saying about man used to respect the underground and the strange Samoan doctor vomits all over you after a mescaline binge and offering to sell you skag <laughs> <laughs> and then while, whilst carving a Z in your forehead of course of course of course so what do you out of our ratings what would you give um, us maybe? I'm gonna have to say it's worth watching uh, in the theater on video once at least um it's hard to follow. It's not a movie for everybody. I'm not going to, you know, put my reputation online and say, "Oh, you guys got to see this. You will love this." So I'm going to give it the middle ground. It's I lo- I liked it personally. Um, it's a it's a think piece. Uh, even though it, it looks like just a fucking crazy drug trip, it's actually underneath. There's a lot of uh, a lot of undertones that you can talk about. And uh, you know, like I said, I'm only giving that just because. It's not for everybody, and I don't want everybody to rush out and be like, oh, well, Deke's a fucking faggot. He told me it was awesome, and I hate drugs. So, that's for all you haters out there. Yeah, I'm gonna, I mean, I want to give this a bar from a friend of the return loss offer, but I know 
I know that people, it's a very touchy film, like, half people love it, half hate it, so I'm going to have to give this, I agree with you, I think it's uh, worth watching on DVD or from VHS or in theaters once. It's a really good movie, it really is, but it's to a very particular audience, and it's not for kids, and you have to have at least some attention to it. You can't just watch it thinking it's going to be some wacky comedy. Yeah. It's not. It's a drama. It's it's a character piece, it's a character study, and it's it's a biography, uh, sort of. Actually, how do you feel, like, going back and watching it, like, now that we're older? Because I remember watching it back when I was, like, 17, and, like, I thought it was awesome, you know? But I didn't understand most of what was going on. Like, now that I watch it, ten years later, and a lot more experience points, and a, a little bit of a higher level, especially with counterculture-related things... Uh, you know, I can see different aspects of what they were trying to convey, things that I wouldn't have picked up on with my younger, more ignorant self, you know? I still think it's an amazing movie. I do, and I, that's why I own it. I And I do watch it, but it's just, it's a very powerful movie, and it's something which just, I think, should be experienced just to show you far some people have fallen in why the ex- use of excess is so bad. Some people will be like, yo, this is, this is, you don't understand this movie, it doesn't make any sense. But it's how things are, you know, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's a different time period, too, you know. You can't expect, like, I mean, you know, depending on how old you are, you know, we didn't live through the fucking hippie era or anything like that. But it's been covered enough where, you know, I've come across a certain knowledge of the whole experience. And I, you know, I go, like I said, I go to a lot of festivals and concerts and. You know, I see these people like I washed up, like in the fucking the haze. Uh, you know, they, they basically, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I only know them from these play. I don't know them personally, but you see some people, and they're just like fucking, fucking messes, dude. There's one guy up in, uh, actually up in the town of Bethel, where the original Woodstock was. They call him Grandfather Woodstock, and he's actually like seriously a seventy-year-old man. He's got dreadlocks, a huge white beard. He looks like, um, remember the the junk lady from uh, Dark Crystal? He looks like a mixture of that and Gandalf the Grey. Like, he's literally has in one of his dreadlocks a pipe, a, a marijuana pipe, weaved into his dreadlock. I've seen him take a hit of it. He has like fucking beads, fucking junk. I call him, and he's like a junk wizard. He has a staff. Like, it has a fucking baby doll's head on it and shit. He had a fucking $2,000 camcorder wrapped around his neck. Like, an actual camcorder. He's walking around. He had sandals, fucking... His feet hadn't been washed since Woodstock. And that was the kind of guy that probably went on a crazy acid trip in Woodstock and fucking never turned back. Like, he just... He was the the Timothy Leary. He's been on his his drug binge and he just kind of gave up. But, you know what? He's... In actuality, he's living in squander. He has nothing. He, probably, he may have a few crazy-looking, illegitimate children here and there from, you know, if, uh, who knows who would let that inside of them, but I'm sure he has a couple of them. But, you know, it's just like, that guy has nothing. He's going to die. What are they going to do with it? Fucking put him in a pine box and ship him in the sea? What, are they going to fucking just, like, throw him in a field somewhere and ho- let God take care of it? I mean, what, and he's got no plan, dude. How does a guy eat? He doesn't... 
imagine that guy working at like fucking Taco Bell or something or like fucking where does he get his money from where did he get the money for that fucking $2,000 camcorder bro it had like fucking it had like Wi-Fi and shit on it I'm like do you got a laptop under that crazy tie-dye robe like <laughs> where do you live man how do you pay rent who knows who knows who knows? With that said, there's nothing else you really could say about this <laughs> about this man. I think we killed it, man. That's yeah, it. I think yeah, I think Dream is dead, bro. So I think we've hit our next era in time. I think we should now the rest of these movies I think are gonna go into the future, into more past this point in time, because we are past this, because we lived in the age of the cocaine cowboys, of the of so on, so yeah, we're we're born right around the time cocaine is becoming a big big deal. Yeah, and speed and things like that. So. Yeah, all this other shit. So let's see what we're gonna roll. What we're gonna do. So remember, you can check us out at any of our earlier episodes at www.spirekin.com. You can email us at spirekin at gmail.com. Zan at spirekin.com. Deke.spirekin at gmail.com. And uh, let's get to that part of the opening for. What are we talking about? We're talking about that one. That only <gasps> the dodecahedron of movies. As your attorney, I advise you to roll this dodecahedron and pick a movie for next episode. Duly noted. For those who don't know, the dodecahedron is a 12 sided object which we've assigned 12 movies to, and we're going to roll the dodecahedron when number it lands on. That's reviewing the next episode of the Spark and Movie Review, and hopefully, you'll be a much more happy and, well, I hope so. I feel like we've taken a lot of downers the last couple of movies. But, well, you gotta go down before you can go up. That's true. It's time to get high. Hopefully it is. We'll roll the dodecahedron and see what it's gonna be. Alright, let's see. Numero Ocho, the eight. And, oh. It's like we're the grandfathers of everything that's going on, man. Holy smokes. Now, ironically, it's also a movie from the 80s. So, well, it's 79, but still. Yeah, you know what? It's a lot more lighthearted than the ones we've been watching. Oh, it's yeah. actually a true, true stoner movie. Oh, so yeah. So, a first official stoner movie. And what are we talking about? We are talking about a movie by a singer and a Comedian. Life- who are we talking about? We're talking about one Tommy Chong, a man who is become a lifetime pothead, and Cheech Marin, actor, singer, writer. Up in smoke is where my money goes. Yep, so next episode we're going to be reviewing Up in Smoke, a, a much funnier movie where there is no real plot, no... It's more of the movie which is more about the... The lighter side of things, the... Yeah, no. I will get into detail later, but it's like, uh, it's not so heavy. It's like, these guys got stoned, and we're like, oh, you know, make a funny movie, and then they wrote it, and then this is what happened. Yeah, unlike this, where it was literally just a examination of insanity. It was a fucking ridiculous introspection on the failure of the hippie movement. So if you've been mellowed out and sad, don't worry, we got better stuff coming up. And so, with that in mind, because we have so many 
quotes that are so good in this. I think we're just going to list a bunch of, well, just some of the best quotes at this point. You know what? I totally agree with that. There's too many to, there's too many to even decipher, and they're so random I can't remember them all. So here's a bunch of quotes for the next two minutes. We had two bags of grass, 75 pellets of mescaline, five sheets of high-powered blotter acid, a salt shaker half full of cocaine, a whole galaxy of multicolored uppers, downers, screamers, laughers. Also a quarter tequila, quarter rum, case of beer, pint of raw ether, two dozen amyl. Not that we needed all that for the trip, but once you get locked into a serious drug collection, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. God damn, I never rode in a convertible before! Is that right? Well, I guess you're about ready then, aren't you? Well, your friends, we're not like the others, man, really. No more of that talk or I'll put the fucking leeches on you, understand? <laughs> Get in. Are you ready for that? Checking into a Vegas hotel under a phony name with intent to commit capital fraud and a head full of acid. <laughs> I sure hope so. 30 minutes. It was going to be very close. What's the score here? What's next? That's right, man. Don't take any dough from these fucking swine. I was right in the middle of a fucking reptile zoo. And somebody was giving booze to these goddamn things. There's uh, two women fucking a polar bear. Don't tell me those things. Not now, man. Oh, devil ether. It makes you behave like the village drunkard in some early Irish novel. Total loss of all basic motor skills. Blurred vision, no balance, numb tongue. The mind recoils in horror, unable to communicate with the spinal column, which is interesting because you can actually watch yourself behaving in this terrible way, but you can't control it. I forgot about the beer. You want some? No. How about some ether? What? Never mind. Lori, listen to me. In a few hours, she'll probably be sane enough to work herself into some sort of towering Jesus-based rage at the hazy recollection of being seduced by some kind of cruel Samoan who fed her liquor and LSD, dragged her to a Vegas hotel room, and then savagely penetrated every orifice in her little body with his throbbing, uncircumcised member. A drug person can learn to cope with things like seeing their dead grandmother crawling up their leg with a knife in her teeth, but nobody should be asked to handle this trip. There's absolutely no choice but to cut her adrift and hope her memory was fucked. With a bit of luck, his life was ruined forever. Always thinking that just behind some narrow door in all his favorite bars, men in red woolen shirts are getting incredible kicks from things he'll never know. I just wanted to cut a little thing in your forehead. Stay calm. Stay calm. I'm a relatively respectable citizen. Multiple felon, perhaps, but certainly not dangerous. Who are these people? These faces? Where do they come from? They look like caricatures of used car dealers from Dallas. And sweet Jesus, there are a hell of a lot of them at 4.30 on a Sunday morning. Still humping the American dream. That vision of the big winner somehow emerging from the last-minute pre-dawn chaos of a stale Vegas casino. I knew I was fucked. I know, I'm guilty. I understand that. 
I knew it was a crime. I did it anyway. Should why argue I'm a fucking criminal? Look at me. I need a fucking lawyer immediately! What are you doing in Baker? Didn't you get my telegram? What telegram, you worthless bastard? I'll cripple your ass for this. One of the things you learn after years of dealing with drug people is that you can turn your back on a person, but never turn your back on a drug. Especially when it's waving a razor-sharp hunting knife in your eye. What was I doing? What was the meaning of this trip? Was I just roaming around in a drug frenzy of some kind? It's been your co-host, Deke. And this is your host, Zahn, for the Spark and Movie Review. We reviewed this great and awesome movie of Pierre Las Vegas. We'll catch you next time, and remember... Whenever you are trying to duck out of a hotel after not paying back in the 70s, back in the way, way back machine, remember that don't, if you get a telegram, say it's from the person, not to them. Yes, and whatever you do, do not use your real name when you pick up a Jesus Freak art student a plane from California to Las Vegas. Yes, use the name Dr. Dante. <laughs> Catch you guys next time. And be sure to exhale. Yep.
It was absolutely imperative that we get to the Mint Hotel before the deadline for press registration. Otherwise, we might have to pay for our suite. to flee came suddenly. Or maybe not. Maybe I'd planned it all along, subconsciously waiting for the right moment. The bill was a factor, I think, because I had no money to pay for it. Our room service tabs had been running somewhere between $29 and $36 per hour for 48 consecutive hours. Incredible. How could it happen? But by the time I asked this question, there was no one around to answer. That rotten attorney of mine, Dr. Gonzo, was gone. He must have sensed trouble. I see. Okay, so now we should get into the part that you've all waiting for, our final email, which was sent to us by a very, very... Voluptuous lady. Yes, and long story short, since I don't want to pull up the email, she wanted to send, she loves our show, she really likes us, and she wanted to send us some pictures. To entertain us boys, yes. or 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 the girls if they enjoy it, and they are well, pictures of her vast tracts of land, sands, her, her interesting parts. So this is our we're gonna yeah, so we're gonna debut a new segment for you, the listeners, the Spilakin female review. So. We're on to the pictures. Now, first off, the pictures are a little bit grainy. A little bit grainy. Probably taken with a webcam. Most likely. And, well, you have topless picture and... So we have a very nice, lovely, squeezable pair of breasts. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I, I really like these. These are my preference-looking, nice, large... I, I love large breasts. They're probably about, what you say, D-cup? I'm thinking, I'm thinking at least double D or bigger, possibly. Really? Uh, uh, possibly a triple D, maybe. Also, you have the nipples are a nice, rough size. Nipples are good. I like I like something like you can kind of nibble on. You know what I mean? Like not not like olive sized, but like you know, like a small grape or like a blueberry. That's it. Like a blueberry, just like a. Rawr. And it's it's not bad. They're not bad. No, it's not just three pictures. Um, there. One she's squeezing, and she looks like she's basically climaxing. That's awesome. Nice little uh, folded arms pushing them out for us to bask in all their voluptuous glory. The last picture is just, it's just the boobs themselves, no arm, no nothing, or was it? Yeah, just the boobs there, and there, okay. Yeah, you, you can't see one, you can't see the one, but it's not bad. And it's, it's actually, it's pretty hot. This is, uh, mm-hmm. this, you know what this tells me? This tells me that we're doing our job right. And for those of you female fans, maybe we'll do the Spark and Mail review if some guy wants to send the girls pictures. <laughs> I, I Please don't do that. One thing, please be over the age of consent. This person has given us the date of birth, and she is over the age of consent. And if she's lying, well... No, she definitely is over the age of consent. Okay, so since we're debuting this new segment, there are a couple of rules. 
Okay, number one, you must be of age. Number two, you must be a female. Number three, you don't necessarily have to be naked or showing us any other various interesting bits on your body. You can just be you, yourself, and maybe you want you know, us to be like, oh, hey, that's a cute girl, and you want our honest opinion. So number three, or what is this, four? I don't know. You have to be ready to receive a review, because that is what we do. We review. And as you know from prior episodes, we have a five-point rating system. Right. Uh, we're going to be distributing you a rating based on what we say. So I guess let's, let's bust into it. I'll, re- I'll read them. Number one, it being the lowest rating. Now, mind you, we don't want to insult you ladies. There is no truly low rating. We understand. Well, so this first rating is going to be very... It's They're all democratic. They're all... It's nothing negative because, hey, they're a pair. They look they look fine even if they're small, even if they're big, even if they're grotesque, they look fine. Well, so here... Anyway, so our first rating is going to be... Thanks for the picture, but we'll let our friend Big Rick take care of you. He'll fuck anything that moves. I got no standards. <laughs> now next up is our second rating. Could use some work, but I'm sure after a six-pack or at least a box of wine, I'll slip you the purple hooded dragon. Not bad, not, not bad. bad. Getting our, better, getting better. third. I'd hit it two times, and I might even get her off before I pass out. Number four, which is, uh, no, that is not a microphone in my pocket. It is my, my massive throbbing erection, but yes, I am happy to see you. And then our final and highest rating. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, 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 do you have a hanky? Yes. And so, with that in mind, let us give our ratings for this. And hopefully iTunes doesn't take us off the air for this entire segment. This, <laughs> if those of you don't know, there may be some bleeping, and you may be wondering what these certain things are, but it's no problem. Either way, so I would have to give these pair for her. I'd have to give it... I'd hit it two times. I might even get her off before I pass out. They're okay. They're not great. They're big. They're supple, but still just kind of... I don't know. Something seems off. Really? No, I actually like them. I like them a lot. No, I like them. I like them. They're great, but, you know, I don't know. It just, I don't know. It looks a little too, like, like when you the picture with her hands and uh, it just looks like, you know, a little too. I don't know. Like, if you look at the one picture, she's, like, pinching her nipple between the fingers while squeezing. To me, that is fucking hot. So, you know what? I'm actually going to have to go with, no, that is not a microphone in my pocket. Is my massive throbbing erection, but yes, I am happy to see you. Excellent. Very cool. Very awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Ladies, if if you want to get a review and send us some similar interesting pictures, by all means, send them to spirekinmovie at gmail.com And fellas, don't feel left out. If you have a picture of your girlfriend or, you know, your sister or your mom Over or the age of consent. Yeah, as long as, listen, as long as she's legal, in, by all means, the United States, it. not in other countries. <laughs> if your sister is a you know nasty troll, and you want to you want to get even at her because she uh, she interrupted your your uh, freaking land party, uh, you know, send us her picture and we'll trash her, and then you can play it to her later. Whatever you want to do, get creative, guys. Very true, and of course, well, either way. For- Terrible gibberish. Splintered memories looming up out of the time fog. Just press play. Fuck, man. The fucking great delusion here. Don't press it. You alone. Don't fuck with it, man. Oh, God.
Did you eat all this acid? That's right. Music! You better pray to God there's some authority in that bag. Otherwise, you're in bad fucking trouble. Music, man. Put that table on. What table? Camera's on our plane. Why rabbit? I need a rising sound. You're doomed. I'm leaving here in two hours. Then they're gonna come up here and beat the mortal shit out of you with big sap right there in that fucking tub. <laughs> oh, all right, I'll do it. Just do me one last favor, will you? Can you give me two hours? That's all I ask, man. Two hours to sleep before morning. I suspect it's going to be a very difficult day. I'll give you all the time we need. Electrocution. We don't want that. Stone dead in ten seconds. Fuck, they'll make me explain things. Shit. Bullshit. Don't fuck with me now, man. I am Ahab. Uh, Jesus Christ. All right, you weird fucker, sit down. Back in the tub. Back in the tub. I'll plunge this into your fucking throat. Don't make me use this, man. Probably the only solution. Let me make sure I've got this all lined up. You want me to uh, throw this thing into the tub when uh, White Rabbit peaks? Is that it? Oh, I was beginning to think I was going to have to go outside and get one goddamn maid to do it. Oh, man. I'll do it. Sure. What are friends for? <laughs> Close your eyes. Yeah, good boy. Why, God damn it, you're wasting my time! Hiya, man! Hiya! Okay, close those peepers. Ten. Nine. This is it, the American dream. Chuck, we're sitting on the main nerve right now. Yeah, yeah, don't get me started. The owner always wanted to run away and join the circus when he was a kid. Now the son of a bitch owns the circus. Ah, man, real license to steal. Oh, yeah. The American dream come true, man. Pure Horatio Welger. 
Yeah, welcome to the happy place. Listen, let's get down to brass tacks here. How much for the ape? <laughs> How much you got? How much do you think you take for the ape? Just wait here. I'll be back. Madness. It made no sense at all. I desperately needed the facts. What the fuck is going on? Oh, where's the ape, man? Where's the ape? You gotta forget about it! He attacked an old man! Spit off the head of the bartender and the cops came and tapped him and took him away! Hey! Uh, your car? What's the bail? I want that ape! There's too many zoos! Someone should stop them! You poor fools just don't understand, you. This car is property of the World Bank. That money goes to Italy. You can't put a circus without a tent! Stop this completely jammed! Turn it on. Something wrong with the motor. We're all riders of the storm! Where are you, you fucking lady? You can't do that! You people voted for Hubert Humphrey, and you killed Jesus! There was every reason to believe that we'd been heading for trouble, that we'd pushed our luck a bit too far. Oh, you evil bastard! This is your work. You better take care of me, lords, if you don't. You're gonna have me on your head.